You are now tuned in to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the Blog to Watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams. This is the Superlative Podcast. I am joined once again by our David Breden, who is fresh back from Geneva in quarantine. He's made the ultimate sacrifice to bring you watch coverage. How do you feel, David? I'm feeling sore in my entire body from a, uh, from a weeks of lockdown and quarantine, but you know, I think it was worth it. Sore from quarantine, but not sore from seeing watches. Never, never sore from uh, from seeing watches. No. They're not very heavy, it's true. But camera gear and all that stuff, you know, <laughs> what was it like? No, seriously, David was the only one from the Blog to Watch team that could go. Yeah. Wasn't really a trade show. How does it compare to what we've done before? Um, you know, when when we used to go to SIHH, when that was still a thing, and uh, and we, we had to go to the city, to downtown Geneva, to meet with, with the LVMH brands and some others who were in Kempinski and in neighboring hotels and stuff. Yeah, this is exactly that. So, so oh, it's, so this it's, is just—it's like just the meeting part in the hotels. It's like there's no SIHH. Yeah, exactly. So it's the same sort of vibe. Um, oh, you so know, pretty calm. I, yeah, I think uh, it was—it was cool, you know, reasonably calm. Yeah, I mean, some some of the brands were in relatively small rooms, so they were like quite cramped, which is not what you want at this time of, you know, like during the pandemic and stuff. So sometimes we had to be smart with how we were positioning ourselves or how, you know, meetings were uh, were uh, scheduled and all that. But overall, I think it worked out okay. There's just, just not a just, lot of big rooms in Geneva is the problem. No, no, not in the entire, you know, canton basically is exempt from that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Beauvais had a really nice uh, space. Um, Bulgari did. Brightlink had its own thing in the fourth season. So that was nice also. So the bigger brands and Beauvais, which is a small brand, but they had a very generous sized uh, area there. Um, you know, th- those were great because then you were they move still in the, in back in the Beau Rivage? Uh, yes. Yeah, exactly. Mr. Yeah, Raffi so. loves the Beau Rivage and it's a hip space. It is. It is a very nice space for sure. Yeah. And some very nice watches too. So, so yeah, I think it, it was the overall vibe was like I said in my summary article. It was it was very positive. You know, people are looking forward to doing business again, and just you know, that's what you have to have. You have to have a positive outlook. You cannot run a business when it's like all you know doom and gloom. I mean, obviously you have to be realistic, but at the same time, you know, if you if you if you let your guards down, if you're not you know creating new products, you're not pushing yourself your company, then, you know, the moment this whole thing lifts, then you, you know, you will be the last one uh, to the races. And then that's not a good position to be in. Yeah, I want to say something on that point. I think it's really important to talk about the fact that in the watch industry, demand is sort of created, it doesn't sort of exist. And there's a sense of what I call infectious optimism, which is really important in the sort of demand creation and sale of watches. Somebody with money and insecurity needs to see somebody else with just as much money, if not more money, and less insecurity and happiness around things. And so the idea is that buying these things will will allow you to feel the optimistic feeling that you want to feel. So the brands, they have to have this optimism for the future. They have to feel like there's demand out there, that their, their products are beautiful. It's a form of charisma. And when it exists, the industry tends to do well. But when the proprietors sort of lack that confidence, uh, it's problematic to do business. Would you agree, disagree? 
Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, the, you know, the slogan of buy a watch because you are sad has never, ever sold a single timepiece in, you know, in the history of the world. So, yeah, so yeah, you, you know, and the, these brands, some, you know, they, what I feel like, for example, with some of the new releases, like the Bulgari aluminum watch, they were super keen on just how funky and just feel good and fun watch this used to be when it was first launched. And that's the intention with it today. It and was, was like, though. Wow, it really was. Yeah, They're not making yeah. it up. Yeah, exactly. It was that was different. a very popular watch. Do you remember seeing those on people's wrists? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, those were great. I mean, I would I would personally go for the Diagono just because it's more badass. But but the aluminum is is just great. And uh, and uh, and yeah, that Dolce Vita kind of vibe was was back here. And I was like, wow, that's like a breath breath of fresh air. That was great. And the same thing. I mean, we talked about this in the on the other episode, but it happened basically simultaneously. All the uh, crazy, colorful uh, Oyster Perpetuals from Rolex. Again, feel-good watches and just funky-looking timepieces. So that's that's what I personally want want to see, and I think more of us want to see because I think more and more of us are becoming super bored with like, here's a black case with a black dial and a black strap and a black clasp, and then it's just super boring. I'm looking at this freaking Panerai Luna Rossa, and it's making me sad as I'm looking at it. <laughs> you know, so it's like it's like. You know, we don't want black and just sad watches anymore. And and again, this feel good vibe was through this whole whole space and all the all the brands, and that was just really uh, a great thing to experience. Especially this since this was the first outing for us all all year. It's just crazy to think about. Was it difficult to be there alone? Because you know, this is the first time David's ever been on a sojourn of this magnitude by himself. I mean, he goes on trips all the time alone. We all do, but you're the only one that's been on every, any watch trip. Yeah. Since the pandem- pandemic began, you know, did you feel like the lone commando out in, in dangerous territory without any backup? <laughs> yeah, it was it was not not a not a wonderful experience uh, in, in, in uh, you know, in that regard, because, you know, you literally can't ask anyone to just hold this for a moment. You know, it's like it's that simple thing when you want to have like four arms at the same time or or, you know, just basic things that you that you need someone's help or, or just to take care or keep an eye on something or whatever or do some basic stuff nothing and, and when you are on your own to that extent then it just makes things hard and then you have to teleport yourself from one hotel to the other one to get to where your you know next meeting is and then you have to you know do video and photography at the same time and upload stuff and all that so so you are really multitasking and sometimes it's just not enough hands and not enough you know eye coordination to do so many things at the same time so putting it in omega terms david was mm. like the man up in the space shuttle you know yeah. in the space station and we were down on earth trying to communicate with him we could like Absolutely. direct his actions and like help and stuff, but ultimately, like he had to be the one with all the tools. He had to be the one solving the problems. We were just yeah. there to lend moral support and help with intelligence stuff. Yeah, I didn't have to pee in my spacesuit. That's that's the only <laughs> positive thing about this. Okay, well, I'm glad that's the first concern you had. I no, would thought I would have been excited to be like, just... "Wow, I don't need to go pee. I can pee right in my clothing. This is fantastic." <laughs> just like I'm a child to, again. This is next great. Next year, I'm going there in a spacesuit. Oh my god! How much time would you say? You know, you could just, you know, yeah. yeah that's yeah, the exactly. next wave of fashion, by the way. I hope that comes. Let's say next wave of feel good moments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the look at us as being primitive or having to take it to, and it'd be great in Switzerland because it's so difficult to get to a bathroom, anyways. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's the law, actually. So, so again, some great watches all week long, basically. Okay, so. Bulgari, it sounds like, was your favorite meeting. Is it because you liked the brand that had the most good watches? I think Bulgari's been on a roll lately, but tell us sort of what you thought, especially based upon meeting with them. 
Yeah, I really like the brand. I really like the the energy there. I really like how they have transformed. Or I, well, it's not really a transformation, but they have managed to highlight their product focus more. So it's less of a, oh, we are an Italian brand. We can do whatever. Da, da, da. Yeah, Is that what it used to like, be? I think, you know, it was <laughs> not, you know, I think the Bulgari of 20 years ago. They do mention ago, Italian a lot. Bulgari of 20 years ago would not have come up with the Octofinissimo. No way, right? So it, it, just imagine that as, as a product and look at which other brand comes close to an Octofinissimo in terms of how outlandish a concept it is and how it is realized. Sure, Piaget has made some, you know, thin watches, the same round watches that are thin for preposterous amounts of money and not very exciting. They are look, classy watches. The only difference that. between Piaget and Bulgari Let's be honest. It's marketing. They're, they both make great watches. Um, no, both, I think the, the product is hugely different as well. Well, they they look different. What I'm saying is, we have a strong personality affiliation with Bulgari, whereas with Piaget, even though the product is strong, you're like, so how do you feel about this brand? And most consumers are like, hmm, I really don't know. And and I'm just sort of trying to say that while the funkiness is cool. It's not just funkiness alone. There needs to be funkiness plus an X factor. And I think that X factor is brand personality. Brand personality and quality and, and design and all that. And again, if you look at the, the new Octofinissimo S, which is in steel and has 100 meters of water resistance and, uh, and then also uh, construction just so that it's, it's more rugged and you can, just, you, know, you can just wear it around. What was the water resistance before? 30. I think, Ooh. yeah, no screw them, uh, screw them crown or anything like that. So, so now they, did they explain cool. why? Like, is this moving forward all going to be like this, or is it just going to be this one steel model? No, it's just this steel for now. And the reason for that is that you know they realized that there was this market for people who wanted to wear an octofinissimo, but they wanted to wear it all the time. They wanted to uh, wear it to the pool and not worry about it. You know, just to. Uh, just, just you know, more rugged construction, and then again, it's in steel, and it's twelve thousand dollars, which is a lot, but it's unbelievably thin. It has this micro rotor movement, which is just great. It's, it's really very cool. nicely made, really cool. And how far away is Piaget from creating something like this? They are not even in the same league. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I'm frustrated because I like Piaget and they have made some amazing watches, but to say that the only difference is marketing is not being fair to this. To this watch. I wasn't I, trying to compare the watches. I'm saying they both have ultra thin movements in watches that are modern and contemporary. Mm. And I'm not saying that the watches look the same, but Piaget could have an equally strong brand personality if they put, you know, if they had the resources to do that. I'm simply saying that mm. I'm not saying that it's 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 for the same consumer. But Piaget could have its own group of consumers just as excited about the products as you are about the Octofinissimo with the Altiplano and, and stuff like that. Yeah, but for that, they would have to update the Altiplano once every 20 years at least, right? I like Piaget, <laughs> but they, they are not doing much to, to win, win, you know, my personal, you know, non-existent watch budget, basically. You know, so then again, this was a good vibe and I could see that the, the aluminum was there to, to carry the brand in, in, the, in the much more affordable uh, price segment, and then there was still the it's, it's funny because the uh, just going staying with the uh, the aluminium, aluminium, yeah. but it's actually the aluminium because the British way. Yeah. The interesting thing about the watch is that it really feels like a retro redo. It, it does have little differences from 
you know, the ones that were made, you know, in the, in the early 2000s and stuff like that. But it's basically like, did you miss out on this one? Here it is one more time with just some like marginally small differences. Yeah. But that's, that's you know, why would you, this is typically the watch that is so characteristic. I don't mind that it's, that they haven't changed much about it. At no, least, it's you interesting. Know, they didn't, they didn't position it as, as a retro redo. I mean, that's, there's a market no. for that. So yeah, I just think it's, it's interesting that you have to like hear us say about, you know, yeah. hear us talk about that way to more or less understand that that's what it is. You know, I mean, yeah, they, that they it didn't, actually existed before. Yeah, exactly. Do they? I mean, I don't remember the press release probably talked about it, but at the end of the day, this was a very popular collection that has been out of production for at least a decade now. You know, it's just like an everyday mechanical watch. It's got a lot of sort of Italian style and character. It's not for everyone, but it's like, it's, it's weird. It's, it's got like swatch level simplicity. Obviously it's way better made than that, but it's got so much personality to it. It's like a bunch of interesting shapes. Like it's so distinctly a Bulgari. Mm. And in that sense, it's like the, you know, like the Hermes H, uh, you know, belt buckle. Like when you see it, you're like, I know exactly what that is. And yeah, same thing. They'd love for the Octo to be that, but it's it's not that yet. It needs more years to penetrate in sort of the zeitgeist of culture. Yeah, which is fine. But this was, again, I mean, this is an expensive watch, relatively speaking, because it's like $3,000, just a tiny bit under $3,000 for the three-hand and $4,250 for the chrono. But uh, then again, uh, the quality was really, really high. So the, the fit and finish on these watches was just exceptional throughout. The way the the, uh, the the strap moves and and the article eights and all that and the rubber bezel is just beautifully made. So the whole thing is an uncompromised luxury watch. Yeah. It's an entry level luxury uh, luxury watch, but we see it pretty often. I think that in the two, three grand, four grand segment, it's it's just you know just corner cutting everywhere. And here, that's not the case at all. So so yes, it's pricey, relatively speaking, but you do get a very nicely made watch. I think what's interesting for me is you have these two materials that are very prominent, which is rubber, which vulcanized rubber over uh, parts like the bezel and the pushers, mm. and then aluminum for the case material. And there was a time in the sort of late 2000s, I'm sorry, the late 90s and early 2000s, where you had a bunch of companies experimenting with these materials. And a lot of them abandoned these materials, and so you don't really have vulcanized rubber very often anymore. Or aluminum. And so it's a very interesting thing to see a brand new product on the market that has materials that were very hot a while ago, are, are no longer used. Vulcanized rubber, um, you know, there's, there, it's an interesting material. I, I don't know how well it wears. It can wear very well. And then uh, aluminum, you know, it, it can dent and scratch quite easily, more so than titanium. And so titanium is supplanted it because titanium has come down in price. You can machine it a lot more easily. They look different. They're sort of a... Um, a glowing kind of character to sort of this, you know, industrial finished aluminum. I mean, again, aluminum is a very different metal, but it has fragility issues that a lot of like watch nerds wouldn't want in case materials anymore. Um, I'm not saying that it's fragile per se, but you definitely want to baby that watch. Yeah, well, if you want for it to look, you know, brand new, yeah, but I'm, it's not that titanium is is all that hard a material anyway. You know, it's, it scratches easily, it dents easily. Titanium is not hard at all. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not like a very rough material. But it's more rigid. You can bend aluminum. Bit. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I don't think you can bend this watch, but, but sure, you, you will ding it sooner or later. But then again, that's, 
you know, this is not a baby watch. You, you, you know, this is this is a beater watch, basically. You can wear around. It's Dolce Vita. You just go to the beach or you just drive around in the countryside. And this is the watch you wear. And but you remember that it. FP Jorn, he did his sports yeah. watch out of aluminum because he wanted to be super yes. light because aluminum is lighter titanium. And then yeah. a couple of years later, he's just like, screw this. And he went over to uh, titanium. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which and was called, funny because well. that watch was called the Octa. And we're talking about the Octo. Yeah. Oh, that's true, actually. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> um, so, so okay, that's Bulgari. Oh, and who's the next brand that uh, comes to mind that stood out from your trip to Geneva Watch I, Days 2020? I, I, I really like the new Lissnardam Plast. It's just such an impressive watch in person. It's, oh, yeah? it's unbelievable. Yeah. Huge the Blast Tourbillon by Lissnardam. Yes, exactly. Um, the case, the case shapes and everything, you know, the moment you know a little bit about how cases are finished or how they are held into these polishing wheels and, and how they are brushed or whatever, uh, how their different surface treatments are done. And you look at these crazy shapes on this case and you realize, okay, this is not really exactly possible by traditional methods. So how did they do this? And I like it when I see a new watch and the first thing on my mind is like, wow, how, how did they do this? And that's also because it's it's not just a pretty shape or a cool movement or whatever, but it's like a genuinely a wow factor. And it's um, obviously it's going to be expensive, but it's under 40 grand, I think, for a tourbillon, flying tourbillon with uh, silicium components, uh, micro rotor uh, self winding, all skeletonized uh, it, uh, on this crazy uh, case and dial. It's just really an amazing piece. But let's be uh, honest, it, it is yeah. expensive compared to. You know, maybe some of the other watches we're talking about, but for tourbillon and for yeah. sort of the you know the skeletonization, all that, it's actually a good value. It's actually in in Angela's pricing, which is considered to be you know very very reasonable. Yes, yeah, exactly. This could this could and would have been like an eighty grand watch not that long ago, I think. Very much. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's uh, yeah, it's forty four thousand, and then it goes up to fifty four. If you want, uh, you know, a ton of gold in it, and because that's the most expensive one. But forty-four, forty-six thousand will get you this in titanium or or ceramic. So there's white ceramic, black ceramic, titanium, and eighteen karat rose gold. They're and a mix. So the ceramic one has some titanium in there and stuff like that. The, the, the point is that no, no, no. The, the the middle case, the one that's beautifully finished and has all these angles, is also available in titanium, black ceramic, white ceramic, and gold. So they are completely different looking watches. And, so the case and, you know, is cool looking. Yeah, and and again, it's totally different in, in, when you when you do it in black ceramic than if you do it in gold or in titanium. Uh, I would definitely get it in 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 titanium because that's where you can really appreciate the surface treatments. And so what they did is the brushing is lasered on; it's laser etched. Oh, that's but cool. But the point is, but that sounds easy. But where where I'm told it becomes hard is that. With a laser, if you want to create a brush surface, you're going to just create a grid. You know, there's no random in it. So they had to create an algorithm that would randomize how hmm. the laser runs over the surface so that it creates that sort of random pattern that comes from actual brushing. Did it look natural? It looked it looked better than that than normal brushing in the sense that it looked super sharp, but also close to 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 how brush surfaces actually look. So I think it it looks actually better than regular brush surfaces, even wow. if it's that's quite, even if that's you're quite talking an endorsement. About, yeah, even if you talk about Zaratsu or whatever from you know. Uh, from, you from mean Zaratsu? 
Zahatsu from Psycho <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, this was really nice looking, really good stuff. And again, the movement, this is very nice. This is a departure from their executive tour beyond. It, it still has that X shape and all the open work stuff. So you do get a lot of high watchmaking. This is a genuine piece of high watchmaking with a crazy bespoke movement. Bespoke case for 40 grand. I mean, wow. That's What, that's what else did you see, listen, Ardan, other than the, um, the Blaster Beyond? Uh, I only saw that it was just about the Blast. I, and there was a, a rare version, a unique piece that, that had uh, all diamonds all over it, which is going to go in a separate article because it's so, so crazy that it deserves its own. That's cool. Oh, look at it. Yeah. So that's so that's the start, and I was really uh, thrilled to see all this stuff. Okay. From, so from because Bulgari looked like they had a full assortment, like a like it was like a Basel assortment. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's not, not so much. Maybe some mid-year releases or something. Uh, beyond Bulgari, Breitling was the next big uh, name in the in the uh, Geneva Watch Days uh, lineup. And where so were Breitling, they? What what hotel did they display at? They were in the uh, in the Hotel de Berg, the uh, the the Four Seasons. I think, yeah, that's the of Four course. Seasons. I, the, the reason I ask is the CEOs they like to play this like weird game between one another, like who has a fancier setup, who's at a fancier hotel, who spent yeah. more money. And so George Kern, the CEO of Breitling, he he enjoys participating in these games, and so he's like, of course, the, you know, the Four Seasons. And four rooms and, you know, like a big, like, auditorium and all that. So it's, like, really muzzle-flexing. They, they were at the, at the Four time, Seasons in L.A. as well. I think he just likes the Four Seasons. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I mean, if, if you, considering the savings that they have by not attending Basel, <laughs> they could <laughs> rent it I for know. an entire month, basically. Yeah, I know. It's true. <laughs> so, so yeah, and, and they, they, they showed off the... Uh, the um, Endurance Pro that everybody knows about at this point, I think. It's a, it's a funky-looking watch. It's very light. It's super comfortable. Again, very colorful, feel-good watch. Um, the price, I think, is a bit high for it, though. So for three grand uh, with a quartz movement, I don't know. I mean... It's high. It's a great watch, but like... It's a bit high, yeah. I mean, look, the thing is this. And I try to tell these brands this, and they, I don't know if they hear me. They need to have a really accessible entry price point. So... That watch is three thousand. I mean, it's not a bad value for three thousand, but if it was like two thousand or even fifteen hundred, they'd have so many people who could never otherwise afford to get into Breitling. And so it's like the affordable Breitling. It's like all the things you like in a Breitling, but more simple materials. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. Remember the 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 uh, the cold sky racer that was two grand. Yeah, and so exactly two grand. Omega, I think, should do the same thing with the Speedmaster. With a Speedmaster, just a standard Speedmaster, nothing fancy, not the modern movements, just the old school one, should be a $3,000 watch or around that amount just to help people get into mechanical watches, aspire to have the fancy. Uh, okay, I know. It's, a, it's, it's, it's open for disagreement. I just think that those brands lose out on so many sales because they have strong brands. And so the person spending $3,000 would love to get the Omega, but they can't afford it. Yeah, exactly. But then again, this is why this, the Sky Racer was such a great product for two grand because it had the Breitling looks. It uh, it had the uh, the the case, and it, it was not feeling like oh, you only have two grand. Here's a crappy watch that we make, you know. No, it was it it was a, a recognizable Breitling watch yeah. with, with some nice details and nice functionality. So that was fantastic. And then obviously that got slight, and now we have is is the uh, is the, is the three grand endurance pro, which is a great looking watch, very comfortable, great colors and all that. But I can't help but feel if you compare it to the Bulgari, for example, the aluminium, 
And that was three grand. And I was like sort of feeling like, oh, why is it like three grand? It's almost incomparably more complicated a product, the aluminum from, from Bulgari, uh, than the Centurance Pro. If you look at the case shape, the integration of the bezel, the materials used, the articulating bracelet or strap, I should say, it's just so much more complicated than this one. But then again, it's it kind of it's kind of an FU watch in the sense of like the person oh, who bought one? it knows what it costs. It's a cool watch. It's oh, just, the endurance? It's, yeah, it's just it's more humble looking. Not looking. Yeah. It's just it's more humble in in construction than the price. Look, I understand that Breitling has you know a complicated brand structure, a value that they need to maintain. I, yes, I understand of all of that, and and again, those are all super important considerations, but. I know the amount of sales that a model like that could have at a lower price point, and I think that they, they could offset. <laughs> maybe, maybe I, I, I don't know. I mean, look, these are difficult decisions. I've never been in their shoes. I don't see how this pans out. But you know, I wonder if they have that super successful entry level price point. Does that then make it difficult for them to charge more? So maybe they have to keep the prices high because that means that like nobody will buy like gold Breitlings. I don't know. But- but yeah, but but the interesting thing, if you look at the professional line of Breitling, and then you look at how you can get an Exospace B55 that's Bluetooth connected and has a carbon dial and all, all titanium everything, and you know two displays and and all that for seven thousand seven hundred or something like that, if they were selling the Engineers Pro for two grand, and I got into the brand of two and a half grand, and I got into Breitling, I would freaking want an Exospace B55 like crazy. And I would still see the point of paying 7700 for it because it's so much more of watch, right? So it, uh, this would not cannibalize other professional models if it was cheaper. Maybe it's, it's, it's a little bit of appearances, you know, like, oh, you shouldn't be able to buy a Breitling for two grand because that's not, you know, who we are, brand values or whatever, like you said. I'm so, actually wearing the watch right now. Oh, really? Which, yeah. which color do you have? The, the white, the black and the white one. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's great. I would put that on a yellow strap or something just to, to make it funky a little bit, but yeah, it's just, you that's know, really cool for the professional. If you really just want to go nuts, just go straight for the emergency too. You oh know? man. I so wish I could, I could wear that watch. <laughs> I, if I could wear it, I would have that watch truly. It's sad that you actually had that discussion. It's a problem. It's like, it's like a really heavy weapon. It's like, what a gun, but I can't actually carry it. Yeah. I mean, I, I could wear the first generation um, emergency. I actually had one for like a couple of weeks to wear and I freaking loved it. It was very comfortable with the thrilling bracelet, with the smaller case and all that. I understand that the new version is is is, is more high tech because it, it communicates in two frequencies and it's easier to find you and all that. But it's just simply way too large for me to wear. But if I could, I would have, that would be the watch. What do you want to do? Do you want to look cool or do you want to stay alive, David? Um, that's really the question. I guess, you have to be I guess, you know, the, both could, both could happen. I could look cool wearing an emergency. Why I'm staying alive? Well, not if you want both yeah. of those signals. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> look, the endurance so pro that. is really successful. I mean, people like it. It's comfortable. It's fun. It is. Oh, it is. Well. It is really nice. I don't know. I mean, I guess I see a watch like this, and I know that Breitling moves in one direction with price point. And then my eyes open up. I'm like, you know what? What if Breitling had another collection that was like where Tag used to be? Remember how Tag Heuer used to be? I'll call it, I, we call it the Bar Mitzvah watch, right? It's like the, the well-priced for someone who's between the ages of maybe like a, um, an adolescent to someone in their mid-20s. Mm. And then they I went, don't think that was that. I think, it's, it, honestly, I think that's more of a public service to the industry than it is for the brand. 
I don't know. I, I know there used to be a lot of sales in that for a lot of brands, especially Taihori. They made them, it, it did very, very well from them. And the reason that they, they were no longer strong at that price point wasn't because they shifted their focus to more expensive watches because they no longer asserted themselves with great value propositions at the sort of one to $3,000 mark. Now you have a brand like Breitling that has a lot of appeal to its old brand they could have a lot of gateway watches in addition to fancier ones. It'd be a different move for the brand, but it's just interesting to theorize about directions they could go in if they so chose. It, it definitely is interesting to to theorize about it. I I, I really agree. But I think you know I, I don't I, I don't want to see you know Breitling go really low. I think it's it's great when you have, when they have just literally one product in one color or maybe a few colors and call it that. And then that's it. We don't care about this market segment or whatever too much. We don't want to chase customers and, and look what their tastes are like or whatever. No, here's our affordable watch. And this is what we're offering for you for the next three years. Do you want it? You can take it or not. You can leave it. And then that's it. I think if you if you go really hard and, and you, you start really focusing on this one to three grand, you know, or two to three grand segment, then that cheapens the entire brand. And that's just, you know, not a good look. I mean, look, I think it's a cultural thing. I mean, I'm yeah. someone who's much more okay with a brand having something very cheap and very expensive, but I know that makes me the minority. I mean, that's what Japanese brands have always been accused of when they try to go international. It's mm. like, why, you know, why is it that the same brand that has the $200 item has the $200,000 item? And so, you know, like, I think the classic example is Toyota having to make Lexus in America in order to sell more expensive cars. Yeah. So this happens a lot in the watch industry. I just, I don't know. I'm not so sensitive about, you know, like, oh, it's the brand. People don't know that that's an expensive brand. But you're right. The majority of consumers definitely have an issue with that. So I, I, can, see, I can see what you're saying for sure. Um, you forgot to talk about Gerald Genta when we were discussing Bulgari. Yeah, I saw the watch very briefly. Um, it's, I like that Gerald Genta is back, but I was not, to be honest, that blown away by the overall quality and feel of, of that watch. Maybe it was a prototype or something. It was just not as robust a watch as I could, like, you know, I, I it just didn't make not me feel like, robusto? oh my God. Not that robusto? No? Not, not that robusto, no. Not robusto. No. Maybe, maybe you know, this is just the wrong first impression. I should have one in for review and then wear it around and get a but production I mean, it's, piece. It's a bulgari. I mean, the idea is that all, the quality should be consistent across the board. You think you just had, like, like you said, a prototype? I think that's what it was. The whole thing felt oddly light. And, you know, as I was just fiddling with it, you know, with the displays and stuff, I was feeling like... does happen. You know, we do get prototypes it, it, a lot. It, yeah. So that's why I don't want to, I don't want to say too much about it. And that's why I didn't bring it up because it's, it's, it's not something that I feel like people should okay, base their decision. How's the new logo? On. There's a new Gerald Genta logo. And does it say Bulgari on the watch anywhere? It doesn't say Bulgari anywhere that I could okay, see. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So what are they? What's their plans with the brand? Is they're gonna? Is it gonna have its own points of sale, its own website? Like, what's the deal? Um, I have no idea about distribution. It's gonna be small. That's the impression that I got. It's not gonna grow into something huge very fast, which is fine. Uh, I'm super excited to see these watches back. I think the uh, the Arena was an amazing, amazing case design. I freaking love that thing. And there's so much potential. And I think this is a relatively safe uh, launch. I mean, they launched it yet last year, but there was like a platinum Geragenta that I think, you know, most of us have <laughs> forgotten because it felt like they found it in a drawer or something. This is more of a of an actual pronounced return of the Geragenta uh, brand. And it's great to see. I, that's, I'm super excited for it. 
I, I, I told, uh, I, I said this at the meeting when, that, you know, I'm really looking forward to crazy colors, crazy designs, crazy textures and all that. Let's go crazy with this. Because I've been, I've actually just a couple months ago, I was on Chrono 24 looking for some Jaragenta Arena or something. And the ones that I could find were genuinely amazing, amazing designs. So it's just a huge, you know, like big breath of, of fresh air, really. And I hope that it's, and the one that they launched is like a black strap on a black case and a black dial and a bit of yellow. And that's just, well, not a black case, but like a dark gray case. So it's just not as happy, not as funky looking as I think Gerard Genta is, is, is known for, or is loved for. So we're not really sure where the brand is going to go. This is like maybe a one-time thing. I'm just trying to understand like, what people should expect next with the Gerald Genta name, because Bulgari has owned the name for a long time. Yeah. He is a very iconic designer, probably never been more popular than he is today. Bulgari not only owns the name, but a bunch of watches. The Octo, you know, which is basically a, a it's based upon a Gerald Genta design, very highly, you know, modified, but based on his design, you know, you could call it his work, uh, or he was basically the one that, that created the first one. So this is a very Gerald Genta brand. Among There's other Genta elements in the brand. And I think it could make good business sense for them to, to invest in that more. But it doesn't seem like they had much to say to you in the meeting. It's important to know sort of the emphasis that they put on it. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm just, you know, only time will tell. I'm, I mean, three years from now, we'll look back and maybe we'll, we'll have seen like one or two different Gerald Genta models. And they were all kind of bland or safe looking. I should say not bland, but safe looking. Or they are going to be exciting, and I really hope that that's that's the uh, the side they are going to be erring on. Okay, so we talked about Elise Nardon, we talked yeah. about Gerald Genta, I wanna, Bulgari Beitling. Yeah, I want to close with Beauvais uh, because I had the chance to see the uh, Beauvais uh, Recita Twenty Six Prince. Do we talk about two. Carla Bucherer? Uh Not yeah, we can talk about them as well. So this Beauvais is just. Just insane. I, you know, this is like precisely what I mentioned you know, a couple of minutes ago. It's like a real head scratcher. Like, how did they do this? <laughs> it's, it's just when it's there in your hand and you're looking at it, and then you think to yourself, okay, I see now, and it makes sense. But when you're sitting over a blank piece of paper, and then you know, years of work later, something like this comes out. Of all that work, I think that's just that's just absolutely incredible. The, the know-how that they have in terms of all the manufacturing, it's just so many bespoke elements to these watches. If you don't practice all these things in-house, forget about it. It's just never, never ever going to happen. So that's, that's what What's it What's the name I, of the watch for people to look? Because again, there's coverage on all these products. I it. It's Recital 26 Brainstorm Chapter 2. Okay, I'm just, it's a long name. It's good to remind people. Yeah, um, they practice over 40 different crafts in-house. Which is how this can be basically a playground of, of Mr. Ruffy, who just goes in there and, you know, I guess, you know, has a great idea. And then they can actually make it. They even make their own hands, which is super rare. I mean, not even Rolex makes its own hands. I don't know who makes their own hands, but very few brands do. Now, Beauvais is located in or near a castle? Uh, so they have, they have facilities. They, have, they are in Fleurier or near Fleurier. And there is this castle in a Motier. Motier is right next to Fleurier. And this is overlooking that whole area. And uh, this was acquired by Mr. Rafi, the owner of Beauvais, um, in 2006, I believe. And the crazy thing is that this exact castle was owned by Beauvais hundreds of years ago. So to be able to get, you know, the exact space or and the exact place where 
a company was headquartered that much, you know, like in its past. I think that's that's just a great opportunity. So that's where final assembly and after sales. Is that why he got it? Yeah. Is he he like is he like a Beauvais super fan? He he specifically didn't want a castle, and you know, and and the canton or or of Neuchatel called them and said, "Oh, we have a castle for sale." And they said, "We're very much just not interested in a freaking (laughs) castle." And they said, "Well, you you might be interested in this one." And then again, as it turned out, this this was Beauvais' freaking castle. Is is there any chance that Neuchatel made that up? (laughs) <laughs> I'm just saying it'd be a really good way to sell a castle if you really need that to move be, a castle. That would be really good. It's been it's been wholly uh renovated. So new spaces have been created for the final assembly and that sort of stuff. But the actual manufacturing happens uh with DMA. So DMA is also a brand that, that is part of Bovey, along with some other manufacturers. And that way, with all these locations, Bovey practices 40-something trades, you know, or crafts, and that's just how they can make crazy watches like this. Because if you have to go to a hand supplier and then a dial maker and then a case maker and then a strap maker and then a movement maker and all this stuff, and then a paint maker for the luminescent moon face and all this crazy stuff, you will never ever get something like this done because it's just super, you know, it's going to take 10 years to make one watch. You're right. They don't do as good of an explanation as they may be able to when it comes to explaining what you get out of being an in-house manufacturer. So many different components you know, yeah. like the hands, because that's why you see such a lack of originality in a lot of mm. watches. It's because True. you need to have a special company make it. You have to go through like rounds of designs. It's extremely expensive. Oh, you want special tooling. And so what ends up happening is people want to like keep their costs down and they have to use suppliers. So in order to do that, you end up having a lot of watches that look the same. When you have yeah. a lot of the manufacturing ability in-house, you get to do crazy Beauvais stuff. <laughs> exactly. If you go to a supplier and tell them, you know, can you make this yeah, just something simple like a bridge and open work it and then bevel it and stuff like that, they can probably do it, but it's going to be super expensive. And the moment you want something genuinely unique from the ground up, which this watch totally is, you just have to look at it, then, you know, obviously it's, it's just never going to happen. They flat out turn you down, the suppliers. It's just how it works if you yeah. don't own the place. It's it's a challenge. And so that's true. Um if you are not Beauvais and you want to get Beauvais crazy with a supplier, there's a very good chance that they'll say no. And they say no for a variety of reasons. There's no obligation for them to work with you. Mostly suppliers are busy as it is, so they get to choose their projects. Therefore, people who are in the position at a watch brand that want unique parts end up having to beg sometimes. And that's, you know, that's a weird position. It is. It is. We have a hands-on. So this watch is three hundred and eighty-three thousand five hundred dollars. It's a pretty expensive watch, and it's a fire case and the tourbillon and all this crazy. But there's the castle but, surcharge. That is there. There is a that. little bit of that. And we also have a. Oh, we also have a hands-on coming of the one of the entry-level Bowes. That's well, it's not the most entry-level because it's hand-engraved and it has some decorations on it beyond over the, the base base model. It's like 19 grand. And when I saw that and, and how it's made and all, and I was just blown away by it. Is so this a new model? Coming. Yeah, I, it's it's not really. It's the 1930 Fleury A oh, with the bow right. on top. And, and it's just such a classy watch. I, I was... I, I was I I was really happy to be just editing my own pictures of that and just you know taking all all the details in and again it costs less than a freaking steel Daytona on the secondhand market so that's something it's a very slick cost. watch and you know it's funny because you know Beauvais is one of those brands that you and I have been into because we we meet with the brand we see what they do 
We love the originality. I mean, I love how much character they put into their stuff. But for yeah, whatever exactly. reason, like you're like, I don't know, mainstream watch nerd doesn't incorporate Beauvais into the conversation too much. And it's almost like Beauvais is actually too good. I'm not saying like it's the best quality or best design, but like they're so original, like most of these people don't know what to make of it. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, I, I thought about this a lot. And I, in the hands-on article, I talk a lot about the varying experience and what this watch looks on people and 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 the message it it conveys. So it's not just oh, it's too wide or you know like the movement is like this and that. So I I I really you know I just want to promote that article a little bit because there's a lot of food for thought in there. Um, in closing, Karla Bucher again, feel good, fun watches with colorful dials and straps and all that with the uh, uh, Patravi Travel Tech Color Edition. Yeah, what were those like? In Four person? new colors. Great. I freaking love the travel tag. I think it's 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 just such a great, great watch. I, I really like it a lot. And what, what are it's, the colors? Uh so they are basically for the four seasons. So there's uh an, a cold blue for for winter, then there's green, then there's yellow, and then there's orange. I thought you were um, in the hotel for a moment. I was like, we're we going back to Breitling? Yeah, no. <laughs> that would that would be a cool <laughs> partnership. They're very nicely made. I really like the quality here. Um they are just really large and really thick and just <laughs> it's a bit it's a big watch it's, it's like but you know what if you want something that big you yeah. have a lot of other fun color choices i don't think so yeah that's the point i think you know we've been moaning about you know there being not enough colorful watches on the market it's it's finally adding up finally we're we're coming out of the blue is the new black you know like super boring phase and we are actually seeing some bold and colorful and fun watches now all we have to do is go out and buy them so that they keep making them and we don't go back to the black dial and blue dial phase i i think that you said something very important earlier in this conversation that is that the bright colored watches make you feel good or maybe we're talking we were talking about rolex watches the new ones for 2020 we had yeah. a separate show all about that so the brand that David is not speaking about that he saw at Geneva Watch Days 2020. It was Rolex because he did see Rolex and we have an entire dedicated episode talking about the new 2020 Rolex watches. But That's right. you were talking about how colors make you feel good. And I'm pretty certain that in a sort of um, depressed social state where a lot of people are, are in a bad mood or under a lot of stress, bright colors is a very effective way of making people feel better um, in addition to sort of being able to show off a little bit and call attention to yourself, but very specifically, they make you feel better. And I'm reminded of the example of when I've gone to places that are sort of post-Soviet, um, like you know parts of, of East Germany, East Berlin, or in Russia and things like that. You go to a lot of institutional places, and the colors inside the buildings are are very uplifting, like you know, like happy yellows and oranges and blues, and very bright and I was curious about that. And what I learned was that, you know, the social psychologist at the time realized this. And since then, when there's a very tense environment, even in prisons and, and stuff, it's also schools and things like that, they use colors to modulate mood because it's a very effective way of doing so. And so, Absolutely. you know, a couple of years ago, it's like, oh, orange watch. What are you, kid? You know, da, 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 da. And like, you know, oh, now, you know, we're starting to see these, more and more of these bright colored watches. They're, they're otherwise often very conservative tool watches, but then you sort of cast them in a bright colored skin and you all of a sudden have 
a new appeal. And it's a very effective tactic. And it's why things like Ice Watch, remember Ice Watch was basically a plastic yeah. Daytona, but it was like, you know, bright pink. It's, <laughs> that's what it was, you know? And that's <laughs> just so funny when you, when you say it out loud. <laughs> yeah. they, that was a formula. It's like, people like this look and they love pink and they love cheap. We got something. Yeah. And they sold literally tons of it. So we're going to see a lot more bright colored watches is all I'm saying. I mean, what sort of world are we living in if you can't even like wear a color in like 38 millimeter size or 40 millimeter size on your wrist? Like how is it that we're not allowed to do that? Who said we're not allowed to do that? That's exactly what I'm saying. Who's saying we're not allowed to do that? Let's do it. Let's go out, buy colorful watches and just be happy about them. Look, I'm, I'm all about it. I found myself as of a few years ago. I mean, the watches that I've been working with people on and designing, things like that, they all feature interesting colors and stuff like that. You, I mean, I think from a fashion sense, you actually probably taught a lot of the Blood to Watch team that it's okay in a professional environment to wear like bright colors. Yay. I just wore sweatpants and t-shirts. I I don't know that I was saying the right message. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) (laughs) We can't talk about that. (laughs) Do they miss that? Do they miss my casual attire? And there's nobody wearing shorts here. What's happening? And it's not even January, you know? That's the most, most confusing thing. So anyway, we've talked a lot about Geneva Watch Days. It was, it, was, it was a nice event. I'm looking forward to it growing, hopefully soon. And, and just, just expanding further and more brands uh, taking part and more brands coming out of their little caves uh, as this whole thing is happening. Did you feel comfortable traveling to Geneva? I mean, this was under the umbrella of a pandemic. Um, did that affect other than the quarantine that you now have to be in, how did that make an effect on your trip overall? Mm, well, I, I, my decision was to go by car and, and Bentley very kindly supported us uh, by providing the amazing flying spur, which is just a fantastic, fantastic automobile. Um, I, I didn't want to fly because I didn't want, I don't, you know, it's just not the safest environment being locked in the same place. And I know that, you know, like all these cleaning systems aboard these planes, da, da, da. But then again, you're sitting around for two hours at a freaking airport. And then it's just, I didn't want to be around too many people for that long. So, so yeah, driving was, was, was actually great. And I thought it was, it was a, it was the good choice. Uh, at the event, I do wish that, you know, mask wearing was, was more enforced and, and, you know, like distancing and all that sort of stuff because, you know, the hype before the event was like, oh, we have all these, da, 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 you know, requirements and rules. And then well, they have to say that stuff, right? They have to, but then again, you know, I'm not saying I was expecting all of that, but there were some moments where people were just really letting their hair down. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying when you are on day four or day five and you have someone coming up in your face all the time and you keep backing and then it's coming up up your face and then you back more. I literally backed out of a room with the guy still in my face. And then I realized, okay, he was for the last five days up in everybody's face, you know, and that's just annoying because then you realize, oh, hey, then I should put on my mask because we're not having, you know, there's a couple of close talkers in the watch industry. It's rare. But oh, boy. There. Oh, oh boy. boy. So that was, that was not a, not a good sensation. You know, that realization, I, I, I already had my two tests done. Both are negative. So that's good. But okay, uh, so you touched, yeah. I don't know, a lot of watches. You yeah. mingled with people and you, you got back safe. <laughs> so you survived. It was a good gamble. 
Yeah, it was worth it because you know I I I had no doubt in my mind that I that I wanted to go because this was the first opportunity all year long for a block to watch to attend a watch event and 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 bring you guys hands on coverage of of all the Rolex stuff and all the Bulgari and Breitling stuff and all the other stuff. So so I'm happy I could go and I would go again. Uh, but I'm 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 very happy that I'm home now. So that's good. Okay, well, thank you so much, David, for giving us your update of. Geneva Watch Days 2020, first of its kind, maybe the last of its kind, but it was the one shot we had so far in 2020 to see new watches. And David Solo braved it out there. So thank you again, David. You can see more information about all the new watches from Bulgari, Gerald Genta, Breitling, Yuli Sardin, uh, Carla Bucherer, Rolex, and probably a few more that you met. Oh, Beauvais, of course, Beauvais, on a blog to watch.com. This has been Superlative. Thank you so much. And thank you, David. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at ablogtowatch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit ablogtowatch.com. Thank you for listening to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe?